Good morning. What a great introduction to our uh, passage, to our sermon that we are about to receive this morning. What we find, um, as, in, as a little introduction, we find ourselves in the book of John, chapter 13. And here we see Jesus preparing his disciples for his death and his departure. But before doing so, giving them one last thing that they need, not a pep talk, not a last cheer, but a deeper understanding and experience of the gospel. At the same time, seeking Christ or seeing Christ as their substitute first and foremost than their example. So read with me, follow along on the overhead, and as we read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, as we see this message in, in Christ as he displays it through the washing of his disciples' feet. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to, to, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never Ever wash my feet? Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Living God and Most High, Father, we ask and we pray. Help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we may truly understand an understanding that we may believe and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor 
and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Elsie. And also, let me say good morning. I, it's spring break. I thought my, maybe I was going to be the only one here today, but uh, I'm glad you're here too. Awesome. Ever had the experience of moving from one house to another? <laughs> you're moving from a rental property to a, a starter home, first home. Uh, or perhaps you're moving from a starter home to a home because now you have seven kids and you need a bigger home. Or perhaps you've gone a little further in life and uh, you're downsizing now that the kids have moved out of the house and uh, you don't need uh, such a big house and you don't need to clean all these squ- that square footage. You're moving down. And the, the countdown is on to make this move. And how many times have you looked at one another with a sense of fatigue and said, uh, oh, all right, what's there left to do? We're getting near to the end of the checklist. What do we still need to do? Well, we're beginning a, uh, a new but short series of messages. And as I thought about that, the question seemed to be right at the bottom floor. What's left to do? What's left to do? We come to the last 24 critical hours in the life of Jesus. What's left to do? 24 critical hours. You know, a large section of the Gospel of John is dedicated to the last 24 hours of his life. Perhaps we would all ask that question if we knew today that we were down to the last 24 hours of our life here on the planet. We'd be asking the question, in 24 hours, what could I do? What's left to do? We were sorry to hear of the passing of the 10-year-old boy that we've been praying for. Many of us didn't know him personally, but we've been praying. His name is Aaron. Aaron has been fighting a battle with cancer for a number of years and finally could go no further. This week he passed away. CTV did a wonderful story on Aaron this week, filming him in a Lego store, purchasing gifts for his siblings and for the stallery. He wanted to bless his family. He wanted to pick out some things for others to remember him by. And so our prayers are certainly with the family. This has been a a very difficult week and months and years. My dad had a radical uh, transformation in his life before he died. A A few years before he died, I think he must have asked the question, uh, what's left to do? And dad, uh, He learned to read, but not very well. He never got to go to school beyond the fourth grade because of needing to be at home on the farm. He didn't feel comfortable to do any kind of public speaking or public praying. But in the last ten years of his life, things changed. Dad went to the pastor's home, which was just uh, 300 yards away from our home on the farm. And uh, he went over to the pastor's home at 7 o'clock in the morning. Pastor rose early. Dad rose early. They got together, he prayed, and that's where dad learned to pray out loud. And he began to feel comfortable to pray with others in the room. It was an amazing joy for my dad. And then when he came out east to visit Marg and myself in our first pastorate, he was thrilled to uh, stay up later and pray with his son. 
Never heard dad pray before. It just kind of blew me away. And he prayed with such passion. And then I learned that dad had become a deacon and he was praying in front of the church. And uh, when he prayed, he put everything into it. And God seemed to give him words that touched heaven and touched hearts. And then I heard that dad was getting into his half ton and driving around the countryside uh, to, uh, to the farms around. And he was visiting his neighbors and he was telling them of how very important it was to have a relationship with God. I think he was asking that question. What's left to do? What's left to do? 24 critical hours for Jesus. And what's left to do? Ought to be able to look into the heart and the mind of our Savior and muse as to what he was carrying in his heart, what he was processing in his mind. He was so aware of the big picture for humanity for centuries to come. And yet there was some immediate business at hand that needed to be dealt with. So let me give it to you this way. Number one, there was one more lesson to teach called attitude, lifestyle, adjustment. John chapter 13. I hope you have your Bibles. you still got your Bibles out or you've got your, uh, your iPhone out. Uh, is it a familiar story for you? It's the Last Supper. It is, in fact, the celebration of the Passover, a special evening that Jesus would greatly value a time to be with his 12 men called his disciples. And even Judas was there. Jesus was still being very grace-filled towards Judas, although he knew. He knew what was to come. But he was still reaching out to him with kindness and love right to the very end, even keeping this little secret from the rest of his men. They didn't know. They didn't know what Judas was up to. The story is often referred to as the upper room discourse. And this evening had promised to be one of those evenings when the topic turned to, well, what's left to do? What's left to do? The uh, attention should have been turned uh, precisely upon Jesus. But we'll see in just a moment, it was not. Jesus about, was about to give his marching orders to his men, who would, of course, now really get the mission who would really understand what, what, what was intended to happen, where to from here. And they would go out from that evening and they would be world changers. <laughs> it became painfully obvious that his men had not arrived at that stage of being world changers. Strangely enough, though, although all the preparation was done for the meal, there was one missing piece. A foot washer. A servant. Is there a servant in the house? In that culture, the most demeaning task around was to wash the guest's feet. This was a job done by the lowest, relegated to a slave. It was necessary, though, because people wore sandals. They did most of their traveling by foot. They walked along trails that were not only dusty, but also cluttered with camel and donkey dung. So, guests arrived with more than dust on their feet. It was a common courtesy for the host to have his slave wash the guest's feet as they entered the house. And this would be especially appreciated if you're about to sit down for a three-hour dinner and you have dirty, smelly feet and you are reclining at dinner 
would not feel all that great to have all these men sitting around with dirty feet. Now, everyone knows what's happening. There's an elephant in the room. Everyone knows the feet have not been washed. No one is stepping up to the plate to say, hey, I'll do that. That's no problem. Let me get at it. So now it's supper time. It's time to eat. But no one has stepped up. Verse 2 says, it was time for supper. Then something very strange transpired in the midst of these men, perhaps just as the food was being served. Verse 4 says that Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Whatever would prompt Jesus, the Messiah, the leader of these men, to push back at his place, reclining at the table, get up on his feet and head over to the basin and pour water into it, and then wrap a towel around his waist and start the process of going from one disciple to the next, to the next, to the next, until he had washed all of their feet. I mean, why would Jesus, in the midst of the meal, push back and pour water and begin to wash feet? Well, there was perhaps more than one reason, but the first being to give them a hands-on lesson that would forever impact the way they did life, change their lifestyle, change their perspective, change their worldview, change their lifestyle. To cut to the chase, his men had proud hearts. May I divert you for just a moment to Luke chapter 22, which fills in the details that John doesn't include. It's a bit unreal, really, what happened here, if you get the story. But I suppose before we cluck our tongues, we must remember how petty we can be in terms of the big things of the kingdom and how we get caught up in saying when will I ever be recognized for the things I do when will I ever be recognized for the time and effort and for the money I invest after all I I surely must have done more than Thomas or must have done more than Bartholomew and when will I ever be recognized Jesus said but here at this table sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Then the very next sentence says, verse 24, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. (laughs) What a conversation. Jesus says, someone will betray me. The disciples respond, oh no, whoever would do that? And in their next breath, they return to a familiar theme. Who among us is the best? Who among us is the greatest? Who will serve with Jesus on his right and who will serve on his left? I wonder what ran through the mind of Jesus. I wonder what he was thinking. It's exam time. It's graduation time. And the disciples take the test and they fail. Oh no, it's time to walk down the aisle. 
to receive the diploma and the commendation. They've been walking closely with Jesus for over three and a half years. These men have walked with Jesus. They have talked with Jesus. They've sat at his feet. They've watched him perform miracles. They've heard his discourses of grace and love. And here they're arguing among themselves. On the side, they're talking to themselves, hoping that Jesus won't hear, but they're trash-talking one another. These men are not ready to graduate. They're still hung up in themselves. Oh, but before I go and blast off, what about me? How long will I spend more self-focused than Christ-focused as I live out the years that have been given to me? How many years will it take for me to find the attitude adjustment the lifestyle adjustment that Jesus prompts me towards. When will I ever get it of saying, this is not about me. My whole life is not about me. It's about Jesus. He's the one we point to. He's the one we serve. So there was a pride issue that Jesus was dealing with right up to the point of their graduation and of their release into ministry. The second reason that Jesus did what he did was because there was a real need. And Jesus wanted his men to become servants to meet real needs in a real world. They had dirty, smelly feet. And they needed to be cleaned. Typically, when there was a gathering of people in a home, there was a, a hired servant who would come to the rescue. The, the guests would come in through the house, take off their sandals, and the custom of the day was for the servant to provide a basin of clean water, and with that water, the servant would stoop to wash the feet of his guests. I remember being in Germany at a friend's home Peter and Carmen uh, showed me such hospitality, touring me around Berlin for a, a couple of days. And then when we would come home at night and we would be tired and we'd kick off her shoes after a busy day, Carmen would take those shoes, she would arrange them in precisely the right spot, she would wipe them down, she would clean them up, ready for tomorrow. And I tell you, my shoes have never received such special care as when I went to Germany. And I, it, I think it was a custom there, but it was also very much a display of servanthood on, the, on behalf of Carmen. I remember reading this story some time ago, and, and then I couldn't put my hands on uh, where I had found it. And after searching this week, I came across it again. The story of Brennan Manning, a Catholic priest, an author, a man who, who walked with God, and he was waiting to catch a plane in the Atlanta airport. He sat down in one of the many places where usually African-American men shine white men's shoes. And an elderly black man began to shine Brennan's shoes. And Brennan had this feeling inside that after he was done, that he should pay him and tip him generously, and then he should reverse the roles. And when he was finished... He stood up and he looked at this elderly man and he said, Now, sir, I would like to shine your shoes. And the black man recoiled and stepped back and said, You're going to do what? He said, I'd like to shine your shoes. Come on. You sit down here. How would you like them done? 
And the African-American man began to cry. And he said, no white man ever talked to me like this before. And the story ends with the white Catholic priest with arms around a black Atlanta man. And they've only just met, but tears are streaming down their faces and reconciliation is taking place. Amen. During a uh, commencement address at his alma mater, Northwestern University, the comedian Stephen Colbert Colbert, offered some wise words for life. He writes this, After I graduated from Northwestern, I moved to Chicago and did improv. Now, there are very few rules about improvisation, but one of the things I was taught early on is that you're not the most important person in the scene. Everybody else is. And if they are the most important people in the scene, you naturally pay attention to them and serve them. But the good news is that you're in the scene too. So hopefully to them, you're the most important person and they will serve you. No one is leading. You're all following the follower, serving the servant. And then he said, life is an improvisation. You have no idea what's going to happen next. And you're mostly just making things up along as you go. And like improv, you cannot win your life. He said, I have my own show, which is full of very talented people, ready to serve me. But at my best, I'm serving them just as hard. And together, we serve a common idea. And a sure sign that things are going well is when no one can remember whose idea was whose or who should get the credit for what jokes. You see, Peter was having a hard time getting all this servanthood teaching by Jesus. And you remember the story, verse 8. No, uh, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Now, in the original text, the response is not as gentle as you may hear it in the English. It goes rather, Oh, Lord, my feet, do you wash? And almost with that comes a tucking of his feet under his robe. No, Lord, no, Lord. And Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter explained, Then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. And I love that response from Peter. It might seem like he's always over the top just a little bit. But it's just that he loved the Lord Jesus so much. He was just so passionate about his faith. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. We understand that when we become a follower of Jesus... That when we come to faith in Christ, or as Jesus says in John chapter 3, we must be born again. There is a time when we have a born again experience. You aren't born again, and then born again, and then born again, and then two years later, born again, and then born again. No. You were born again only once. But we do need to come back time and time again to find cleansing and wholeness and forgiveness because we get our feet dirty. We get our hands dirty. We get our minds dirty as we travel the road of life. But we need to keep coming back for salvation uh, 
But we don't need to keep coming back for salvation once we've already come to faith in Jesus. And Jesus reminds Peter of that. But what was Peter's real problem? It was who was washing his feet, as Elsie pointed out so clearly in the poem. It was who was washing his feet. Jesus becoming the slave. I mean, he could have accepted foot washing from John or from Thomas. That would have been wonderful. But from Jesus. And truthfully, Peter would have been most comfortable to wash the feet of Jesus. That would have been an honor. That would have been a privilege. Although he didn't do it. He did, he did have a chance when they walked into the upper room. But to see Jesus, the great I am, stoop before Peter and begin to reach for his dirty feet, that is not normal. Friends, I have to say this, that it was at this place in my preparation for today that my heart was touched the most. Jesus was teaching Peter something very significant, especially Uh, the act of washing feet, that it's normal. That it's normal. And this is, in fact, the heart of God. That this is the essence of God himself, that he washes feet. Remember when Jesus told his disciples before coming into Jerusalem, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And in that one line, he turns everything Upside down. In the vision the prophet Daniel was given of the Son of Man, all the nations of the world would serve him. But Jesus is telling us that that's only half the truth and not the important half. The truth is that the eternal king above all kings serves us. And we will never be able to outserve him. That this is what God is like. And that's what touched me again this week. Does it capture your heart? In this act of Jesus taking the basin and the towel and going to each of his men, Jesus is unraveling our thoughts about how we should think of God. We live with the idea that God is to be exalted, to be sitting on a throne, surrounded by willing servants. Oh, I don't deny that for a split second. It is true. But in the use of the towel, Jesus is revealing the idea that God lives with. For the living God being God means coming down from that throne and giving himself to serve. This is who God is. Not to take one tiny bit away from his reign and rule, but to understand that the very nature of God, the nature of Jesus is servant. At the very heart of God is the essence of who he is. That he's a servant. And that he will stoop to meet your needs. That he will bow in front of you and wash your feet. If you're like me, you have a mixed reaction. On the one hand, I am touched by such a king. On the other hand, like Peter, I am disturbed. He would wash my feet Oh, Lord, my feet? After all you know of me. And yes, I know, you would think to have Jesus kneeling before us 
would create in us a sense of pride. He washed my feet. But actually it works the other way. When God is kneeling before us in self-emptying love like he did on the cross, we cannot help but be so drawn to him. His love knocks us off our throne. He becomes the center. Wow. Put another way, Jesus helps Peter and us understand that we meet the living God at the bottom rung of the ladder. Not at the top of the ladder. This is not a setup. This is not the Father acting in disguise. There's no trick about this thing. This is not Jesus trying to confuse us. This is indeed the very essence of what Jesus is like. Can we get that into our hearts? This is what God is like. He finds dignity in being a foot washer. And the lifelong challenge that Jesus puts before us is what he said to his disciples, verse 14. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. I think he was saying my imperative is that this becomes the DNA of your life. My prayer is that this becomes your posture for the rest of your days. And aren't you impressed with how he does it? It begins without a word. He begins to wash the feet of his disciples without a word. He gets up from where he is reclining and he goes for the basin and the towel. Don't you love it that humility is unannounced? <laughs> I know sometimes our, our humility seems to come as a result of exasperation like this. Well, since you haven't washed feet, I guess I will wash everyone's feet. Thank you very much. I mean, you've never said it that way, have you? Nor have you been super pious. Let me show you what true humility is about. Stick out your dirty feet. No, we've never said it that way. Now, while the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest, they heard water being poured into a basin. A wonderful, quiet humility. Hear the water splashing in the basin. And the towel is a remarkable symbol. From here on in, after Jesus modeled for us the life of servanthood, he passes the towel to us. And the towel becomes the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. After washing their feet, Jesus says to his disciples, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. We would have expected to hear him say, since I, your Lord, washed your feet, you should wash my feet. If Jesus had said that, then we'd all be fighting for the towel. And, and we would be so privileged to wash the feet of Jesus. But he doesn't put it that way. He says, you should wash one another's feet. Now, isn't that interesting? I like how an old British-Scottish theologian put it. You'll love the formal language. Jesus has laid aside his life for us all. And the debt which we owe to him is to be discharged 
by our subjection to our neighbors in loving service. Our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe the master. I owe Jesus Christ for what he has done for me. My neighbor is now the appointed agent authorized to receive what I owe the master. Hmm. Friends, just but think of the implications. Think of the implications this has for our family, for our spouses, for our friends. Think, I mean, think of the implications that this has for the workplace, for employers and employees. The way I wash the feet of my Lord is through washing the feet of my wife or my husband. Oh, I never thought of it that way before. The way I wash the feet of my Lord is through washing the feet of my children. The way I wash the feet of my Lord is by washing the feet of my parents. Really? I wash the feet of Jesus as I wash the feet of our staff, of our elders. I wash the feet of Jesus as I wash the feet of those who serve us on Sunday morning and we sit down to abundance around these tables. We discharge the debt we owe Jesus Christ by submitting ourselves to the people who form an integral part of our lives. I mean, what about that difficult person at work? How does that play out? (laughs) You feeling a little uncomfortable? I am. It's a bit unnerving. It's a bit unnerving. It's just not the way things are done in this world. It's just not the way things are done. That's what makes Jesus the most incredible, outstanding leader of all time. That's why when we look over history and we find the people who have become servant leaders, we discover fruit that remains. We discover fruit that continues on. We, we discover lives that have made a difference in the world. As one person said, when you belong to King Jesus, you can no longer write on your resume or your vitae, I do not do feet. Because that's precisely what you do. Because that's what he does. That's what he does. Jesus, through the use of a towel, is inaugurating a king, a kingdom of foot washers. So may I remind us again this morning that that is the very nature of God himself. This is the posture of Jesus all through his ministry. And it characterizes who he is. A foot washer. Yes. A servant with a towel. I don't need to tell you that this is so opposite to what we experience every day in the race for the top, the clamoring for power, the climbing over each other to get to the material prize of fame or fortune. It's difficult not to cite a wonderful example who has done so well in taking hold of the towel and carefully using it speak powerfully to a world. I refer, of course, to Mother Teresa, who left this world a few years ago. The Lord washed her feet, and she, in turn, has been washing the feet and hands and heads and bodies of the poorest of the poor in Calcutta and other cities around the world. Malcolm Muggeridge, formerly of the BBC, wrote a book about her titled, Something Beautiful for God, 
And he writes, she was not a scholar, she was not articulate, but she captivated the world because she washed feet authentically. Mother Teresa simply prepared to follow her Lord in accordance with his instructions and to regard every derelict left to die in the streets as him, as Jesus. To hear in the cry of every abandoned child, even in the tiny squeak of the discarded fetus, the cry of the Bethlehem child. To recognize in every leper's stumps the hands which once touched sightless eyes and made them see, the hands which once rested on distracted heads and made them calm and brought health to sick flesh and twisted limbs. Jesus, Jesus. And so our Lord, you are, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. But you remind us again today that you are the servant of all servants. So I want to say thank you for serving us by giving us your very life. That into a dark world you came to bring the light. Into a selfish, violent world you came to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, receive our thanks today for what you've done for us. And give us courage and humility to pass it on to the people around us. And teach us to be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen.